Thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast, a production of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. In this episode, Michael Page interviews celebrated science fiction author James Gunn, who, at age 96, is still publishing. Gunn reflects on his personal and professional interactions with Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, Ray Bradbury, and Neil Gaiman. Hi, this is Mike Page. I'm here in Lawrence, Kansas today. One of the grandmasters of science fiction, James Gunn, is also not only one of the finest writers in, in the science fiction field, but uh, one of the foundational scholars and teachers of science fiction as well. And um, Jim, this is a conversation for the University of Nebraska's Plain State podcast. And thanks so much for having me down to Lawrence again. Yeah. Oh, glad to have you here. It's a lovely day, 70 degrees on November 8th, and I thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about your work and career. Uh, you told me you have finished a new novel, or you're in the middle of working on a new novel? Well, actually, it's a series of novelettes, which I have, I've uh, uh, going to appear, the first two of them, in uh, uh, Asimov's science fiction. Uh, Sheila Williams, the editor, was gracious enough to accept both of them. And I keep thinking of, trying to think of ways in which I can expand it into something that resembles a novel. Uh, and the aspects of, that emerge from the novel, uh, concept, keep uh, coming up as ways of trying to, to resolve some of the issues. And I'm going to talk about the issues uh, here because that would spoil the impact <laughs> of the stories themselves. The first of these, which I think is going to appear next spring, uh, is called In Our Stars. The second of these uh, which is going to appear in the following issue, is called Against the Stars. And I'm working on what I hope will be the third novelette, which is called Return to Earth. And uh, it still is only going to be about uh, 40,000 words, maybe a few more. But I hope to make it a little more respectable as a length by writing a, uh, an essay about the subject matter of the, the novel, uh, which is basically the, the issue of what if there is some uh, uh, other uh, uh, galactic mind of some sort, I don't give it away, what well, I think it might be, that uh, is controlling uh, the thoughts and attitudes and fates of human beings because it does that. That's what it does. And uh, if if this is the case, what can we possibly do about it? So uh, it is that uh, I intend to, to write finally an essay which I hope uh, Asimov magazine also will be interested in, uh, in which I discuss the ways in which science fiction has over the years dealt with this issue of 
a super ordinary controls minds uh, sort of creatures that may or may not influence our behavior and our fates uh, surprisingly enough uh, they seem to be contradictory in terms of science fiction because science fiction really assumes that uh, uh, people make their own fates uh, in fact, the the title of the first episode in our stars, I quote the uh, the uh, dialogue that uh, Cassius has with with Brutus in uh, Julius Caesar when he says, uh, "The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings." And I've used only the last part of that, that is, the leave out the knot. So it's really dealing with what's in our stars that may be making us underlings. So, Jim, you're, you're 96 years old. Yes, and, and I feel uh, it. And if you have a kind of a new novel in the works, a new novel will eventually come out i think you might have surpassed jack williamson i know jack jack lived to be 98 but yes. i don't remember when his last novel was published i think it was about maybe 95 96 years old something like that so i have actually uh uh two books uh on schedule to be published uh, sometime within the next six months which will make a total of 50. I'm at 48 right now. Uh, one of the, the, the novels is a series of, of uh, chapters that I revised and reimagined from my novel, Transcendental, uh, that were published sequentially, sometimes two at a time, in uh, Asimov's magazine and is now going to be published as a single volume by Reanimus Press any any day now. And of course, the, the book that I'm writing with you, uh, yes. uh, my series of essays on uh, the protocols so, of reading science yes. fiction, which emerged from a 18, 1996 uh, online discussion with a number of, uh, of uh, opinion makers, including Damon Knight, who, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. among others, eventually induced me to participate, and uh, resulted, I thought, in a series of very provocative sort of uh, concerns and attitudes and, and thoughts about the subject. And I finally found in you somebody who was willing to do the work to put all these yeah. together. Um. And if, if I recall, uh, Reanimus Press is to, uh, going to publish your back catalog, correct? As, yes, as, as a matter of fact. As uh, a James Gunn library? At my, uh, I had the idea that uh, uh, probably suggested by my agent, Kimberly Cameron, that uh, it was time to have what she called a science, a James Gunn library, that is a a real catalog of my previously published books, 
which could be found in in one place, and and we and she uh, uh, queried uh, you know two or three possible publishers, but I also pointed out to her that uh, Andrew Burt, the head of Reanimus Press, uh, had approached me a couple of years before about the possibility of reprinting some of my out-of-print books. And so she also got in touch with Bert, and we decided at the end that his uh, he was the most interested and involved person, and we signed a contract with him, and he was uh, we got the rights back to my most most of my titles, uh, uh, partly from my efforts and partly from Andrew Bert's efforts, so. Uh, Reanimus Press is ready to to get involved in uh, in putting together a catalog of my books. And Jim, you told me that you are also writing an essay on Isaac Asimov. It's his 100th uh, anniversary yes. of Isaac Asimov. Yeah, I was asked by Science Magazine, uh, had an email from the editor there, who asked me if I'd be willing to write an essay about... Uh, Isaac for uh, an issue of uh, a month or so in the future, since Isaac uh, uh, and his parents established his birthday as January the second. They didn't know for sure that that was his actual birthday because he was born in a small town in Soviet Russia uh, in nineteen nineteen or nineteen twenty. Uh, called Petrovici. And the records there being so fragmentary when they emigrated to the United States and when uh, Isaac was three years old, they established his birth date then as January the 2nd. So that's the one that we are using uh, as the the anniversary most people have used. And uh, I uh, agreed to, to to write the essay, but since I hadn't written for science before, I asked the editor whether she would be willing to take a look at what I wrote and and offer some suggestions or or editing suggestions that I could uh, use and. Uh, she had told me originally she wanted a an essay of somewhere between a thousand and fourteen hundred words, and so I tried to keep it succinct and and pertinent and as well as interesting because I was always an admirer of Isaac's and we were friends of sort though more convention friends than other occasions. To, didn't have a chance to meet uh, that often since we lived in different parts of the country and Isaac didn't travel at least he didn't fly do you remember when you first uh, when you first would have met uh, Isaac yes I'm sure I, I I know it pretty well I met him first in over the Labor Day weekend of 1953. So that was uh, the second convention you went to? That was to. the second convention I went to after the Chicago event of 19, 
52. And uh, it was there I met Isaac and uh, uh, a number of other people that I didn't have a chance to meet with before, though I had, uh, I had met a number of writers at uh, in Chicago. Uh, many of them were not in uh, in Philadelphia where the convention was held, but it was very convenient for Isaac, and so we. Uh, uh, enjoyed the occasion to meet and chat briefly. He <laughs> he commented about our meeting in a, the uh, uh, his first volume of his autobiography. He said he met me and Phillips, it was a farmer, and he said uh, farmer might be a better writer, but Gunn was a better looking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but. At least uh, in, in, in later years, uh, I met Isaac at other conventions. And on one memorial, uh, memorable occasion, I happened to be in New York before going on to the convention in Cleveland. I think this was in the later 50s, maybe. And it turned out that Isaac was the... Uh, uh, guest of honor there. Uh, and my then publisher, Martin Greenberg, uh, was going to drive Isaac and a couple others to, from New York to Cleveland. So he invited me to go along with him, and we traveled uh, to Cleveland together and had enjoyed conversation and spent a considerable amount of time together in the, at the convention. And I got a chance to get better acquainted with them, and we exchanged uh, correspondence, mostly letters on my part, postcards on his, that I found very yeah, fascinating, intriguing. He was often talking about the work he was working on. Finally, I got a little embarrassed by the fact that he was such a busy and well-published person. He, was must have been the time he was coming out with all of his science books and would come to something like one a month. I would hate to feel like I was using up his time, so I let the correspondence drop away. But uh, we re-met uh, uh, in New York when I attended the Nebula Award ceremony. Um, must have been in the late 70s. Uh, I had arranged to give a, uh, a slide talk at the Hayden Planetarium there, and uh, uh, Isaac was in the audience. Matter of fact, the director of the planetarium had invited Isaac and Janet to have dinner with me before the occasion. We had good dinner uh, before then. And, uh, and then I gave my talk, and I mentioned to Isaac afterwards that I'd stopped uh, corresponding with him because I was afraid of taking up his time. And he said, you can write me anytime. So, but then it turned out that I felt this terrible wave of sickness come over me, and I was really sick by the time I got back to the hotel. And 
the next morning canceled my appointments and flew back to Kansas City, uh, deathly ill, and turned out that I had pneumonia and uh, was hospitalized for three or four days before they maybe got me feeling better. But uh, uh, that was about the last time I really had contact with Isaac. Uh, a little before he had, uh, I had written my uh, book about him, Isaac Asimov, The Foundations of Science Fiction, uh, which involved a quote, a uh, an interview with Isaac that I made connection with after at a convention, minor listener convention in New York, and we went to another uh, uh, place where he had an appointment, sat in the lobby, and I interviewed interviewed him uh, on tape that I had brought along, and and included that in my my book. And uh, uh, Isaac must have read it with considerable uh, care because he was a really a person who was enjoyed reading about himself because uh, he uh, shortly after that he published his first science fiction novel in a long time which was Foundation's Edge and he wrote about it in his editorial in Asimov's magazine and among other things said that it was reading a passage in my book about him that enabled him to have the courage to go on. I think it was uh, something about uh, the fact that he uh, wrote his uh, scenes on sort of a bare stage and mostly dealt with the, the uh, ideas and the transformation of ideas. And he said, I read that and I told myself I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> so he gave me credit for inspiring his ability to continue, which sort of made me feel good because most uh, 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 writers who have books read, written about them, about their work, uh, don't like them <laughs> and resent them and find things to dislike about them. Yeah, and in this case, I felt that Isaac had given it credit for making his writing possible. So, well, uh, Jim, um, let's see. You're home here in Lawrence. Uh, you've had a number of guests here. I, I remember the story you told me. Arthur C. Clarke is was it was he guest in this home? No, or other actually, home? he had two two homes before this. Oh, okay. And the house, we had an old house. It was that in 68? Down on Mississippi in 65. 65. Uh, 66, I'm sorry. It was 1966 was the, the centennial of the university. And uh, uh, we had a program, uh, a, a number of things that were going on that year, including the... the uh, uh, premiere of a new opera that had been written for the occasion called Carrie Nation uh, by Douglas Moore. And uh, 
uh, we were living in this big old house down on Mississippi Street. It was uh, more than 100 years old then. And uh, we were, uh, the, the, the event that Arthur Clarke was coming for was called the Intercentury Seminar, which was a, uh, a four-day uh, series of, of uh, lectures and presentations uh, that had the unusual aspect of putting on the stage with the speaker uh, three other members of the speaking group who would then sort of discuss the, the, the presentation the speaker had made. And uh, we had some excellent speakers who lined up, and uh, the person who really uh, originated the idea and carried out most of the work on it was the chair of the speech and drama department, Professor Bill Conboy. But I was the uh, uh, director of uh, university relations. And I was involved in a in a way with the with the occasion, and helped uh, get a lot of promotion for it. For which I was lucky. The local uh, Associated Press uh, correspondent spent all four days here and posted uh, stories about the talks that were being made. But anyway, I we my wife and I went over to Kansas City to pick up. Uh, Arthur at the airport and brought him back to Lawrence and into our capacious old house and sat him down in the living room, fixed him a cup of tea and he told us about his work with on uh, with Stanley Kubrick on 2001 which uh, uh, was he had just, just completed and uh, he brought a number of stills from the uh, from the, the the filming that he told us about. He particularly liked one which had the instructions for using the zero gravity toilet. And uh, uh, but he also told us about uh, what he considered to be a somewhat difficulties he had run into with uh, Stanley Kubrick and that his contract had uh, arranged for his payment to be made in writing the novelization of the the movie uh, but uh, which was supposed to be a sort of a listed collaboration but uh, Kubrick didn't want to release it yet <laughs> And so he was, of course, eventually it came out as a, as a very successful novel. But he also, <laughs> still remember, we had, uh, Jane had picked up at a, uh, an auction an uh, uh, old-fashioned spectroscope with uh, something like 50 different slides uh, in it, which you inserted in the speaker and looked at them, saw them in 3D. And Arthur looked at the box and said, you have a uh, a picture of the moon on it. I said, oh, I don't think so. And he leafed through it and found a 
the picture of the moon and put it in the spectroscope and looked at it. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. It, he was able to put his fingers right to it huh? on something that we had not even yeah. thought about. But he, uh, Stanley was uh, 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 excellent, a little formal guest, and he had uh, was not as well as he would have liked. He thought he had aftermath of uh, of a a diving accident or running some difficulty with his breathing apparatus. But it may have been from some childhood polio experience. But he did well and gave a nice, interesting talk. Was was one of the highlights of the of the centennial. Uh, so there was a good chance to meet and mm -hmm. entertain one of the leading writers. Yeah. I was never able to get Isaac Asimov to come out, even though we're. Always in other good places. terms, because he said he didn't fly and it would take too much time to travel on the train. Did Ray Bradbury ever come through here? Uh, yes, he did. He he made a, a speaking tour uh, late in his career, and uh, I remember uh, talking to uh, or the the dean of the college, I guess who was. Or, or yes, I had been in college. He was involved with um, inviting him, and I asked if we could have him talk to a a, a class. And she wrote back said, "No, but could you come to the dinner we're having for him?" So I joined him for dinner and sat beside him, and we. And had you chatted. met? Had you met him at other times? Before, I had, uh, I though yeah. mostly. Uh, at a, at the uh, right of the future occasions when uh, they in, began inviting me for several years to uh, uh, be present for the the award ceremony, and I think at the time that they were interested in the fact that I had been named to the. Uh, uh, organizing committee for the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame in Seattle uh, that uh, uh, had, was under construction. And I think they kept hoping that uh, I would uh, be able to get L. Ron Hubbard into the Hall of Fame until I finally told them that I really didn't have any influence <laughs> on that. And so they stopped stopped inviting me. But at each of these uh, Writers of the Future occasions, they would have a, a an evening celebration, so a reception of sorts uh, on the, the top floor of the the uh, uh, Celebrity Center. They held there in Hollywood, which is an old hotel, they got a famous hotel. And it had a big roof, and uh, Bradbury often would be there on the occasion with all a lot of other celebrities. And I had occasion to speak to him there once or twice. But when we were sitting beside each other at the uh, 
dinner, which is held at the old Pachamama's restaurant, before they moved downtown, and then later. And he said, were you ever at my house? And I said, no, no, Ray, I was never invited. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, that reminds me, last year, uh, Neil Gaiman was a guest here. Yes. Kansas, did, I, I don't think I've asked you, did you get a chance to As visit with Gaiman? As a matter of fact, uh, I was, uh, I had, uh, I heard that he was going to come, and I forget, I think I was, uh, I was invited to the reception that was given him before the, uh, uh, for his talk, mm -hmm. and uh, I accepted it, and uh, I was just put in it when I, and sat down, I think, with Chris and Kidge at the table, among some other people. But then Gaiman was very uh, friendly. After he came in, someone must have told, identified me. He came over and shook my hand and told me what an honor it was. And I reciprocated and told him it was a great honor to have you here. And then, you know, we all went in and, uh, and listened to his talk in the lead auditorium. And uh, he, he gave a very fascinating talk. I was really uh, partly reading and partly commentary. And, but he was a, a very uh, lively and entertaining and uh, in some ways profound speaker. I was really glad that I was, felt like going out there listening to him. Special thanks to James Gunn and Michael Pate. Plain State is produced by Robert Lipscomb. Post-production by Stephen Ramsey. Music by Shadows on a River. My name is Jack Mullity. On behalf of the Department of English at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, thank you for listening to the Plain State Podcast. Tagline forthcoming. <laughs>